the fiduciary model is winning. And we want to ensure that we're serving advisory firms across that continuum. From our clearing business, we absolutely have an option for emerging RIAs and emerging advisors in that space. When Ben Harrison started at Pershing Advisor Solutions back in the mid-2000s, he was impressed by a certain industry consultant who was providing him with some great business leads. Little did he know that this consultant, Mark Tabergian, was soon to become their CEO, and that 13 years later, Ben would be taking his place. I spoke to Ben about his vision for the custody business, their doubling down on the RIA market segment, and a whole lot more on this episode of Wealth Management Today. Thank you, everyone, the world of wealth tech, for joining me today. This is the stay-at-home version of the Wealth Management Today podcast, and I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz. I run a technology consulting company called Ezra Group, and we help wealth management firms make better tech and business decisions through our research and advice. And on this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. And please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, as well as sharing this podcast and uh, every podcast we post on social media networks. Thanks again. I was really excited to get this next interview uh, with Ben Harrison from Pershing. Uh, because Pershing has been one of my clients for quite some time, and I was very interested in this change of management from Mark Tabergian to Ben. So I was happy that they made him available uh, to me for this podcast, and he was gracious enough to uh, spend some time. We covered a lot of ground uh, from Pershing's response to the COVID-19 crisis to some of the data they're seeing uh, you know, from their many broker-dealers and many RIAs on the platform, uh, trading volumes, uh, some comments from Ben on Mark DeBergen's retirement, which is big news in the industry, and some of the things that he's seeing and where are some of the things that they're doing uh, differently in the RAA market. I thought that was interesting. Uh, talking a little bit about technology, uh, some of the things they're doing, pushing the envelope with tech, which uh, Pershing's always done a pretty good job on, uh, especially with NetX and their other tools. Uh, we touched on their new pricing strategy and a bit about the competitive landscape. So, Quite a full podcast episode for you. Uh, looking forward to hearing your, your feedback on this, so please take a listen. And I'm happy to introduce my next guest on the podcast is Ben Harrison, the Head of Business Development and Relationship Management at BNY Mellon Pershing. Hey, Ben. Hey, Craig. Great to be with you. I am happy to have you on the program. Uh, it's great to meet you. Uh, in the, under these circumstances, it's great to meet everyone. Uh, we're all uh, doing our work from home deal. And how many weeks did you say we're into this now? I lost count. This is uh, week six on the work from home regimen <sighs> here. Time flies. because yeah, My company is virtual, so we, we all work from home. But I, I, I get the, uh, the, the how it's completely different for, for people who are used to going into an office. 
It makes for long days, that's for sure. <laughs> you kind of, yeah, it all kind of drags, you know, drags in together or merges together, and you forget when you're, you really have to, to make some boundaries for when your work time is and when your personal time is. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I wanted to be well, not the first well, to congr congratulate you as uh, taking over as head of the RIA business at uh, Pershing as of June first. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, I'm excited as well. I've uh, been working with Pershing for a while. Um, I love some of the stuff you guys are doing. I was at the uh, the conference last year. Hopefully, we'll get back to conferences again. Uh, I was mm -hmm. at the conference back out in Arizona last year. A lot of good stuff. Um, but I wanted to go over a couple of things, and we were chatting a bit before we started. And um, I'm really interested in, in Pershing's response to the, the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis. So what are some of the things you guys are doing, and, and how, um, how do you see the, any new programs, benefits for your employees, and how are you doing with the work from home, when you, you know, with, well, with you know, the way your business is run? You've never run that way before. So what are some of the things that have changed? Sure, Craig. Um, you know, maybe I'll take this from a couple of angles. The first being the response around uh, moving to a remote environment, resiliency, and uh, from a client perspective, and then maybe shift to uh, the employee perspective. So, as you mentioned, the days have kind of all started to blend together. But if we rewind the clock and think about, you know, kind of a late February timeframe, late February, we had our Elite Advisor Summit on the horizon for early March. I remember specifically getting called into Jim Crowley's office, our CEO, and sitting down to talk to him about that. And we decided that we were going to cancel the conference and got a little bit of pushback from the industry. Thought, you know, we might have been being a little bit too uh, conservative. But as we, you know, kind of look at the look with in back and and what happened it was actually very uh, opportunistic for us to take those uh, conservative measures and and that's really what we did early we we um we started planning for resiliency and you know the uh, the ability to move start moving people to a work from home environment on a rotating basis and that went from planning to execution in a matter of days. So uh, by six weeks ago, we were uh, we moved everybody that we could to a uh, work from home type of environment. And globally, we have 98% of our workforce, 99% uh, of our workforce is, is work from home. And we really focused on uh, keeping our employees safe, uh, getting them in an environment where they could, you know, remote work in, uh, into our systems, and then take care of our clients. And the good news is uh, we were really able to do so, uh, missing a beat. It was very smooth. It was done in a period of historic volatility and volume. So uh, the team was, uh, you know, adjusting to this new normal of having their kids at home and working from home, but with extraordinarily uh, significant volume. Volumes and what we've gotten in terms of feedback from our clients is our clients could hardly tell that uh, we were in a remote environment. The service team was very responsive. The technology has been very resilient and working as designed, and that's all kind of a part of our planning exercise and the way that we consistently test our business uh, continuity and resiliency. So knock on wood, it's gone really well and we've learned a lot from it and we're able to move to a work from home remote environment uh, very quickly. So shifting gears to the employee front, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're a 
we're a company with uh, roughly about 50,000 employees at BNY Mellon. And this is a significant time uh, and point in our in our existence. So the company's been very supportive of employees. So most recently, Todd Gibbons, our uh, CEO, announced that there's not going to be any layoffs in the current year. It's really about keeping our employees the forefront uh, so that they can really support our clients and it's just the right thing to do. Uh, so the firm uh, has stepped up with that commitment of no layoffs. Uh, the firm's also supporting our, our communities. Like many other big companies have committed resources to the local healthcare environment as well as supporting a variety of uh, philanthropic efforts. Uh, there's a company match up to $10,000 for qualified charities. So if employees give up to $10,000, the company will match, et cetera. There's been a number of work from home employee resources. We've got a very robust employee assistance program, you know, focusing on everything from mental well-being to manager uh, resources to help managers um, cope with working with employees in a remote working environment. Um, and then finally, just tools and resources. So even the concept of, uh, you know, we've all got laptops can easily get uh, up online at home, but certain employees, traders, certain customer service folks, they need multiple screens and multiple monitors. The, you know, the firm has stepped up with an expense reimbursement program to be able to support some of that for uh, for our employees. So in total, I, I mean, bringing both those things together, the client side and the employee side, you know, we're just tremendously proud of our of our team uh, stepping up and serving our clients and, and proud of our company and, and leadership team in the way that they have supported employees. That's great to hear. You know, we're, we're hearing a lot of great companies that are step, like you said, stepping up and doing the right thing and, and, and looking to make it as easy as possible for their employees to be productive in, in some ways difficult environments. And people have little kids at home and it's hard to they don't have a home office, so it's hard to carve out that uh, time or that, that space where it's quiet. I've seen some people going into their kids' closets, like walk-in closets to take calls and try to find a quiet space in, in the house. Yeah, occasionally uh, a there, a visitor will appear on a video conference or you may hear a dog bark, but uh, people seem to be uh, rolling with it pretty well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, I think people also learning that a lot of jobs that they said, you can't work from home, you really can work from home. And in some cases be as, as productive or more productive. Yeah. And I, I, I would, I would anticipate that our, and we, you hear this in a lot of uh, forums, but um, you know, our, our reality has changed. And I think that um, this has allowed companies to really not only test business resiliency, but but uh, put it in, enact it in force. And I think that we're going to see the changes in the industry and in the way that uh, advisors work with their clients and, and for firms like ours. And you'd mentioned conferences earlier. I think that we're going to see a difference in the amount of in-person conferences uh, that we see. I mean, people want to spend time with individuals, but I, I do think we're forever changed. It'll be interesting. I, I kind of feel that people have a short memory and that eventually it'll go back to some kind of normal, but then also people get used to the new normal. So they'll just be used to doing more virtual, more webinars and, and less travel. They'll like it. You know, they'll say, why am I traveling so much? My business is doing just as well without going to conferences. So I think that's, yeah, you're right, that it, it, will, it will change. Um, have you seen 
any surprising data so far? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you see higher trading volumes, but anything around, the, around that area you can share? Yeah. So in terms of, I mentioned that we were dealing in a highly volatile market when we were, you know, kind of moving to work from home and uh, across the board at Pershing, um, we hit daily records, you know, kind of day after day to 3x the amount of daily trading volume than, than we've uh, ever seen you know, historic levels. And like I said, our, our technology, uh, you know, really supported that well. I would say in terms of, you know, anything surprising from that data, I don't know if it's surprising, but, uh, but I think it is good to see, which is uh, in the RA custody business, we've got about 700 uh, clients on our platform. And if we looked at the February 28th to March 31 asset allocation change, we saw very little overall change. We saw tremendous volumes, so a, a significant amount of rebalancing and maybe tax loss harvesting and you know some of those other strategic moves. But in terms of overall allo- asset allocation, slight raise in cash, slight drawdown in equities, but on the margins, uh, everything else almost re- remained exactly the same in terms of uh, market exposure, which which infers to us that our uh, RIAs are long time, uh, long term investors. They're not. It's not a trading business, and uh, they're uh, you know keeping investors you know engaged in their long longer term financial plan uh, and not making knee jerk reactions to the market panic. Well, those are good. Exactly what should have been happening, right? Exactly the way it should have worked, and it's good to see that's working that way. That's right. Because you'd probably be surprised if. There were major swings. That's you know, really not the way the business is supposed to be uh, supposed to be functioning. You know, That's right. So moving from that, and thanks for sharing that. Uh, I want to talk more about your your new role, taking over for the the, the great Mark Tabergian. How do you think your vision of the RIA business will change uh, once you take over? Sure. So I had the you know great opportunity to work uh, alongside Mark for his entire career here. I started at Pershing a year before uh, Mark joined, and actually even got the benefit of working uh, with him in advance of that when he was a consultant at Moss Adams, and I was a business development officer in Metro New York City, and he would be calling on clients, and then he would send the leads to me. And I thought, man, I have got, a, you know, I've created this great center of influence and ability for this top-notch consultant to give me all of his best client leads. And then, you know, fast forward a month later, and they, we hire him as the CEO. And the, I, uh, I understand now why he was he was giving me the leads. But uh, I've had a great opportunity to work with him. And, you know, we really shaped the business under his leadership over the last decade around uh, being very focused on an optimal client, uh, specific optimal client profile. That was a growth minded, professionally managed firm that serves clients with complex financial lives. And that served us really, really well. So when Mark came in, he really helped us define that and separate what we did here at Pershing versus the major retail uh, providers. All of those businesses, you know, looked very similar. They were direct to retail. They were very focused on mass affluent uh, investors. And we had a different set of capabilities. We had a vast and deep set of capabilities uh, brought forward by Pershing and BNY Mellon that we could bring to the marketplace 
uh, and really serve this segment that needed a more uh, robust and business-to-business oriented uh, type of platform. And we, we've done that really well, and we've grown it significantly from 50 billion up over 800 billion uh, under Mark's leadership. So to get back to your question around you know what we might do a little bit differently i think uh the first thing is we're going to keep doing what we're doing uh, extraordinarily well which is serving that uh segment of the marketplace of growth minded professionally managed firms and we've become known for it and uh we're absolutely going to continue to do that and we're doubling down on our investment in the RIA business in order to support that uh from there you are going to see us expand our addressable market slightly. So uh, now that we have scale, now that we've got a strong foundation and those 700 firms on our platform with you know, over $800 billion in assets, that allows us to really build upon that success that we've had and expand. Uh, so you're going to see us come down uh, market a little bit. You know, there's obviously a significant amount of disruption in the marketplace, you know, pre-COVID around M&A uh, happening at variety at the variety of the uh, custodial uh, providers. In the past, you might have uh, heard me say that our minimum was $250 million of assets under management. Well, now it's uh, we've moved down. It's $100 million. So if you're an SEC-registered investment advisor uh, and you're growing and you are an enduring business, you're absolutely, you, you meet the optimal client profile of uh, our advisor solutions business uh, here at Pershing. So that's an important shift. Other than that, we're really continuing to invest in all of the capabilities that got us to here, which is high-touch client service, uh, the ability to offer our consulting and practice management uh, resources, the uh, technology platform. We're investing significantly in continued API connectivity and uh, ability to deeply integrate with fintechs. You know, not a not a tremendous shift, just kind of shifting on on the areas where we see opportunity. I'm going to take a break from this interview to talk about one of my sponsors, and it's the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Uh, the Invest in Others has an awards program that recognizes charitable work of financial advisors in communities across the country and around the world. These awards are presented at their signature event, which is an annual Invest in Others Gala. Over 600 advisors and financial service executives attend this premier event to celebrate those individuals that actively give back to their communities. There are five categories of awards that recognize the distinct ways that advisors have made a difference. I'm just going to read one or two of these. So there's the Catalyst Award that's presented to an advisor who has been an active uh, stimulus for positive change and displayed entrepreneurial vision and leadership to nonprofit organizations for at least the past three years. Uh, there's also the Community Service Award, the Global Impact Award, and they're uh, self-explanatory. And I'm um, on the judging committee for some of these awards. And I have to tell you, the, the advisors who uh, are nominated have done some incredible work, again, locally uh, in local communities in the U.S. and around the world. I would advise everyone to go to the website, investinothers.org, to read more and to donate. Indeed. So let me uh, pick this apart a little bit, if I can. Sure. So big news. Dropping your minimums from 250 to 100. That's putting a lot of thousands of additional firms into play that weren't available weren't available to you in the past or they weren't available. You weren't available to them in the past. 
That's correct. We uh, do measure that in the thousands. Yes. Yeah, uh, I don't have the data in front of me, but it's yeah, it's it's, it's in the thousands. The so what what uh, spurred the decision to move down market? Was it that you felt you had grown your market share had grown enough in the over two fifty part, or do you see? Uh, I guess you, you know, imagine you would see some revenue opportunity in that one hundred to two fifty space. Yeah, Craig, a couple reasons. Uh, the first of which is, as I mentioned, we do have scale in our business, and that was really important for us to be able to operate in a highly profitable you know, type of environment in order to uh, continue to build out our uh, custody business. So we we have that scale and we're able to capitalize on it now. There's, as we know, there's disruption in the marketplace. With that disruption, we see opportunity. The fiduciary model is winning. And uh, as a firm, we want to ensure that we're serving advisory firms and practices across that continuum. So from our clearing business that focuses on uh, IBDs and independent contracting type of firms, we absolutely have an option for uh, emerging RIAs and emerging advisors in that space. Once once they crest over $100 million and become an SEC registered RIA, we really felt that 100 million to 300 was an area in which we consistently were seeing opportunity. We knew that these types of uh, entities really wanted choice. We knew that choice was was diminishing in the marketplace, and we have a really robust platform that is fiduciary oriented and able to serve them in a way that doesn't compete with their business. And it's really just about you know democratizing that and getting that out uh, for that segment of the marketplace to to begin to utilize. And then finally, it's it's to encourage the fact that we know that those businesses are going to eventually be billion dollar shops. So we've got to get uh, we've got to align with them when they are that size so that we're their partner now so we can help them grow. And uh, we know that many of them are going to thrive and and, uh, you know, be those larger firms of the future. You want to get them early, get them all their minnows before they become whales. Absolutely. Now, one other thing you mentioned, it's sort of um, actually a bit of a dichotomy that your, your business can scale now, which is fantastic. You, you always want to, you don't want to get out ahead of your skis and start grabbing, try to grab market share when you don't have the capability to support it. So uh, great move there. But you mentioned some of your strengths are high touch client service. So if, if you're expanding and scaling, it's the, by definition, the amount of touch it should go down, shouldn't it? Or do you have a way to, to mitigate that? Yeah, so we're really focused on that. That's a great point. Um, and we absolutely see our competitors moving in more of a retail-minded call center type of infrastructure. We hear, uh, you know, many cases, uh, the, the concept that the service experience is being reimagined, and it seems as though it's moving toward, towards more of a self-service, uh, lower-touch environment, and uh, less high-touch. One thing that we absolutely know is that RIAs absolutely want access to dedicated high-touch client service. So that's a big part of our 
service infrastructure and uh, a differentiator for us. Now, we are investing significantly in digital tools, um, and this environment that we're in right now is only increasing that investment. So we're seeing, as a result of uh, the existing COVID environment, our uh, training class for uh, opening accounts uh, via e-signature and and uh, the ability to interface with us digitally from a handful of firms on a weekly basis to upwards of even a hundred individuals, you know, logging into those trainings to learn about uh, digital tools. So that's great to see. We want everybody to utilize those digital tools, but we do also believe that there's this careful balance between a curated high touch experience versus a call center type of approach. And Pershing as a uh, firm that is historically, we've been a dominant provider of a firm that serves financial intermediaries. We are architected and our environment is designed extraordinarily well to interface with financial services organizations. So that's what we're leveraging. And uh, it's a careful balance, but absolutely uh, errs on the side of still a smaller ratio of our client service individuals to uh, to clients on our platform. Uh, one thing I wanted to go off script a, a second here. I had an, an idea, something that you just mentioned uh, with your technology. Something I saw at the conference last year was a chatbot where advisors could ask questions and it would take them right to the point in the system that they needed to go. So they would type, hey, I've got a client lost their debit card and boom, up would come the right form on the right page. So you didn't have to go search through NetX 360 to find what you wanted. Is, the, would, that, would that type of technology be available coming out soon? I know it was in the proof of concept phase last year. Yeah, we're looking at, uh, that's just one example of the type of investment that we're doing in terms of really digitizing custody, moving from an environment instead of just uh, electronically signing forms, getting rid of forms altogether, absolutely utilizing uh, robotics in our business uh, to, in many ways, behind the scenes. So, uh, you know, investors and advisors don't notice it, that, that type of investment. And we've actually reprioritized our investment uh, in technology this year based on the existing uh, environment that we're in in terms of the pandemic to ensure that top of the list are the digital tools and resources so that firms can operate more efficiently with us. And, and in turn, we operate more efficiently. I would agree with that. One of the things you mentioned was integrations and APIs. Do you have any anything you can talk about specifically around that for other vendors that are, are partnering with you or be able to integrate your uh, custody and other solutions into other fintech firms that would be interesting to people? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, the strategy in our philosophy is to be intelligently open. So by that, uh, what I mean is we we don't aspire to just have integrations with every fintech firm in, in the universe. Uh, we want to uh, go deeper with a smaller subset of the 
firms that are more readily used across our client base. So that's how we prioritize our API development. Uh, and there are a number of those firms that we meet with on a very regular basis. We've got a technology advisory board, and we've also got a technology uh, partner council that we work with these uh, firms in order to ensure that we are at any given point engaging uh, with the firms that have the resources on their side. And we have aspirational goals on our roadmap that we want to get to in terms of uh, bi-directional you know, data file sharing and, and API connectivity with a variety of these, uh, of these vendors. So intelligently open is our strategy. And uh, we also see the opportunity to create in the future a more of a, an open you know, sandbox for development and testing so that we can be known as uh, one of the uh, firms that has the most uh, innovative lean towards fintechs in the marketplace. Uh, that's something that we're uh, working on behind the scenes, but we're, we're going to be careful. We're going to put the resources stacked against the, the most viable firms. And uh, because we think that it's better to have uh, deeper and broader connectivity and use cases back and forth rather than just a very uh, thin surface layer on top. Yeah, you don't want to be a, a mile wide and an inch deep. That's right. Interesting. The uh, last month, I, um, I'm looking at your press release from last month. Can we talk a bit about um, your changes in pricing? Sure. So uh, interested in the monthly subscription price. That's been big in the industry or a lot of news and a lot of talk about how monthly subscription pricing is, is going to become the next big thing. Do you see a lot of your existing RIA clients taking you up on that? Or is it just something you wanted to have to say we have it and you don't really expect a lot of, a lot of firms to be testing those waters? We've actually seen a fair amount of interest in it, and I think I think that that comes from the fact that we we saw that the uh, existing custodial kind of economic model uh, environment for pricing was ripe for disruption. So, if you think about it, the way that this business has uh, been priced was really driven off of a retail discount brokerage type of model, uh, because that's really how this. Uh, segment of the marketplace was born. And again, we've got tremendous respect for our competitors and and uh, many of which were pioneers uh, launching the RA custody movement. But it really came from a direct-to-retail pricing schematic uh, where investors, uh, you know, kind of bore the economic weight of the custodial market. And uh, we thought that it wasn't necessarily in alignment with the way that the investor of the future was going to be consuming products and services. So that's what prompted us to move towards more of a subscription-based model. If we think about zero transaction fee model on equities and ETFs, that was very product-specific, and it was eliminating one fee, uh, which was an equity ticket, and moving that fee into more of an opaque economic model of, of capturing that uh, fee in the cash uh, or, or money market fund uh, or single bank sweep uh, environment. So w we saw that and we thought, geez, that doesn't seem like it's as aligned with the fiduciary model as, as the future would uh, suggest that investors want. So that prompted us to say, 
let's create an environment where an investor can pay a flat dollar amount, uh, a monthly fee as low as $25 and have access uh, to whole of market in terms of the products and solutions. So equities, ETFs, fixed income, uh, mutual funds, uh, including the lowest fee or no fee type of product, which we know is uh, continues to grow and there's investor demand for it. And the existing environment uh, with you know product fees uh, really subsidizing the custodian to be able to provide a platform, we just don't see that lasting, you know, there's not longevity in that in the marketplace. So that took us to subscription, which, you know, does allow to, for this uh, access to a variety of different uh, products, including a hybrid cash uh, offering, which allows for a greater yield once the investor has uh, more cash balances on the platform. Many advisors have been missing the opportunity to manage cash as a part of their overallocation because no custodian has gotten innovative around it because it was going to cannibalize their their revenue stream. So this is uh, something that's new. Uh, we're starting to get uh, quite a bit of interest uh, in it. It's actually starting with the types of advisors that utilize, you know, some of the lower fee product in the marketplace, the dimensional funds and Vanguard funds, et cetera, where they have uh, historically not been as uh, coveted in terms of their profitability to custodians because of those uh, that product usage, which just doesn't make sense. But we think that uh, there's applicability uh, for many use cases, and we're starting to see a, a, a pretty good interest in incoming uh, uh, inbound inquiry on it. Yeah, I think giving more options to RIAs is only going to be a good thing, because you don't know which ones are going to be accessing these different pricing models, and you, you don't want to be limiting them to what how they can and can't run their business. That's right. And, and I see I see subscription pricing as becoming as being becoming a huge part of advisors pricing because people are used to it with Netflix whether it's Netflix or Spotify whatever tools whatever software or uh, services they're used to that subscription pricing and eventually they're going to realize that they're paying the same they're paying more but not necessarily getting more service and that a subscription model makes more sense. Right. And, and look, look at the existing environment. I mean, the advisors are working pretty hard right now. They're working harder than they ever have in terms of communicating to their clients and, and navigating these markets and these uncertain times. And, and their, fee, their fees are going to be down because their assets uh, under uh, management are going to be down. So they have that inherent conflict as well. So what could really align well is if they went to a subscription model and the custodian was on a subscription model and advisors could wrap that, um, it, could be, it could be really interesting for fiduciary advisors to be aligned with their clients. And you think that's what more of them would want. They want to be aligned with their clients. Yeah. All right. You don't, you don't, you don't want the opposite. So shifting gears, uh, but staying in the same area. What uh, what's your thoughts on the M and A in the space? So there isn't has not been a lot after, of course, we have the huge one last year with Schwab buying uh, TD. Any comments on that? And then Morgan Stanley buying E Trade. Do you see this uh, continuing? Are there going to be more M and A? 
Well, I would say that all of the M&A that we have seen, both in the existing, in the on, you know, RIA to RIA, as well as uh, on the platforms, custodial platform side, has been very much oriented around the wealth management space, not the custodial space. So what's happening is the one fee that has been very steady over the last 10 years has been the investment advisor's fee or the wealth management fee has you know, maintained a you know, 75 to 80 basis point uh, type of, uh, type of uh, model, and uh, that's very coveted. So we saw Goldman Sachs buy United Capital, and you know, that's the forming a you know, national footprint uh, RIA. We've seen, obviously, the discount providers be very disrupted. Uh, and, you know, in one case, you know, two discount providers coming together, that was really driven by the retail investor. It wasn't, okay, we're going to align our RIA custody units. That came after the fact. And even, you know, the same is true by a wirehouse, uh, you know, kind of buying a discount uh, broker. It was for retail clients or the ability to to leverage 10B51 resources, et cetera. So I think that uh, what that implies to us is that that the fee pool that is coveted is the is the direct to client fee pool. And many of those discount providers want to be wealth management providers, and this is their entree into it. And we're going to continue to see, even though I, I would I would expect there to be a slowdown just due to the current environment. I think there'll be a slowdown, depressed valuations for a bit in terms of uh, what we're seeing in the M&A environment. But I think it's going to come back pretty significantly uh, in terms of additional uh, industry consolidation in the space. I, I really don't see it slowing down. There's more new providers coming in. This is a space where there's been a lot of uh, influx of new providers. It's not easy to start a custodian. It's very challenging, very challenging to start a custodian. And you can't you can't just get 75% of the way there. Um, this is a highly detail, minutia-oriented business. And, you know, in days, you could, you could operate, you know, well for 10 years without a glitch. And then on the most volatile day in the market that the market's seen since the 30s, if you can't do what you have to be able to do as a custodian, which is transact and uh, meet your client needs and uh, hold assets safely and securely, then then you're out of business. So it's 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 a tough um, market to enter. It is. I mean, the, the the most recent firm I know of that's even got in was Altruist that started last year. But besides that, there there really aren't that many new custodians coming in. Agreed. But there are there are firms trying to change, trying to move to different spaces. Like there are larger custodians that maybe serve broker dealers trying to get the RA space and RA custodians trying to get in the broker dealer space. So they, they are moving into each other's areas. There's no question about that. So I think we've got everything covered. I really appreciate your time here, Ben. I know you, you've got a lot of things going on. So thanks for, for uh, carving out some time in your schedule to, uh, to talk to me and uh, sharing all this with, with our audience. Great, Craig. Well, I really appreciate it. And there's a tremendous amount of optimism right now at BNY Mellon Pershing as we think about the future. And there's disruption in the marketplace, but with disruption, opportunity. And and we look forward to uh, continuing to invest in the RAA uh, custody business and uh, 
we see coming out of this uh, very strongly on the other side. So thanks for having me. You are welcome. All, all good stuff. Thanks so much, Ben. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, covered a lot of ground. Uh, I really thought Ben was being very open uh, and, and forthcoming uh, with his, his thoughts on the industry and where he's going to be taking Pershing Advisor Solutions. So really good stuff. Uh, before we go, remember to subscribe, like us everywhere you listen to podcasts. Remember that five-star review on iTunes would be really helpful for us. We're moving up the ranks. Uh, I think we're almost with the top 100 fintech news. I think we're like one number 118. So help us uh, get over the hump. I want to make the, break the top 100 in fintech news for the Wealth Management Today podcast. Looking forward to seeing you all again next week.